y'all. I'm Meg Kirsted, and this is the Black Sheep Playground podcast. We're here to have some fun, learn a ton about how to actually be a human, and question the idea that there's a right way to live your life. Because I'm pretty sure there are a whole bunch of ways to thrive. So let's go play. Hello, everyone. Uh, Today, I'm just going to dive right in because I'm fired up. I just coached someone on the topic I'm going to be talking about today. So it's all top of mind and I want to get it into your hands because it truly is one of the most common things I've coached on in the last few years. So what we're talking about today is bedtime procrastination, which is something that I think every single person I've worked with who has ADHD uh, struggle ha, brings as an issue to be coached on at some point, and it's certainly something I've struggled on. Like honestly, if I were to like choose the top five things I regularly coach people on, um, bedtime procrastination is probably in that list. Which, um, given that a lot of what I do is around you know career and business, um, it is fascinating to me that this is a recurring thing, which makes me think it is one of the most common things that uh, particularly dopamine-driven folks struggle with and um, obviously interferes with everything. And I'm not going to give you my sleep is important uh, rant right now. Um, (laughs) That's another podcast for another day. But uh, most of us know at this point that sleep is incredibly important and we want to sleep more. Part of us knows that sleeping is incredibly important. We feel better when we sleep enough. We uh, we're able to do more of what we want. We we are happier, more motivated. Like sleep is good, guys. Seriously, there are very few panaceas in the world of like mental health and wellness. But like sleep is as close as it gets. Sleep and movement are like the two panaceas that always, always um, need to be looked at. But anyway. Let's talk about bedtime procrastination, what it is, why it happens, what most people try, and why it fails, because this is something, like, people usually don't bring stuff to me until they've already really tried to hack it themselves. I work with very, like, resourceful, creative, smart people. So these are, like, people with, you know, graduate degrees, PhDs, who are like, I can't fucking go to bed on time. Um, And what you can actually do to change this and actually a lot of other behaviors. So the sort of one of the steps I'm going to take you through today are actually things that you can use not just for bedtime procrastination, but in other places. So very excited for this episode, especially because I know there are many of you who are going to listen to this who also also struggle with this particular issue. So what is bedtime procrastination before we dive into like why it happens? Bedtime procrastination is just the voluntary delay of bedtime. And and it's a voluntary delay of bedtime probably to the point you aren't getting enough sleep to be at your best the next day. So one of the things that is implicit in, you know, the term bedtime procrastination is that you have a goal to go to bed at a certain time and then that time passes and you delay going to bed until later because you are doing something else. The most common form of this I see nowadays is delay of bedtime because you are passively consuming some sort of media or relatively passively consuming some sort of media. The most common activities include binging television, or getting out your phone and scrolling on Instagram, watching YouTube videos. Uh, 
But there can be many different ways of doing this. Um, I've actually had times where I did this because I was like really amped up and dancing around my room and lip syncing to music because that is something I do sometimes late at night when I'm feeling extra wacky. Um, but you, it's really any time you're delaying going to bed, um, so we're not talking about like struggles to fall asleep once you're in bed. That, that is out of scope for this particular episode. So this is, you know, I'm not going to bed and trying to go to sleep because I am doing something else I want to be doing. And you can think of all procrastination this way. Um, it's the delay of some sort of task that you, some part of you wants to do um, in favor of doing something else. You're delaying doing the one thing in favor of doing another thing. And and I'm framing this way very intent, uh, framing it this way very intentionally because I, I hear a lot of people um, talk about procrastination as an avoidance of things, as it's you know, an emotional regulation problem, which there is truth to that. But the wanting to be doing something else instead is going to be really important when we talk about why this happens and how you can actually address it. Because this is the thing that a lot of people don't look at. Like, what is the wisdom behind the thing you're doing instead? I cannot emphasize or overemphasize to you know how common this is with the kind of people I, I tend to work with. Um, it, it, it is everywhere. And so this means like this is a universally applicable episode. So even if it, this isn't something you um, struggle are struggling with right now, it's probably something that will come up at some point in your life. And the, we really want to gain the tools to understand how to address it because once again, you know, sleep is really important. But it turns out me telling you sleep is really important is not the way to fix it. <laughs> in fact, that, that just puts pressures on you to go to sleep and that's just going to make the problem worse. So we're going to understand why it happens and how to fix it from a whole nother perspective. Um, for me, this is something I have to pay attention to um, pretty regularly. Like I have to take a look at like, you know, am I, am I getting enough sleep? Um, and if not, why? And for me, typically say 80, 90% of the time it's bedtime procrastination rather than like, you know, I'm not falling asleep once I get into bed and stuff. Um, so this is some, this is a skill that if you master, you will use it over and over again. And you can also look at whether or not your bedtime procrastination is happening as a signal of other things going on in your life. Because the secret here is that bedtime procrastination is not a problem in itself. It's just a symptom of other stuff that's going on in your nervous system and in your life. So let's dive in to why we procrastinate about going to bed. So here's the scenario. You're sitting on your couch. You are maybe watching the newest episode of Last of Us, which for the record is really, really good. And you should watch it if you aren't, um, if that's your wheelhouse. And there's a moment where, I don't know, um, insert your favorite bedtime here. But for me, it's like any time after approximately 10 p.m. is when I start seriously considering, you know, maybe I should head in the direction of bed. The episode ends. And there's a decision point. Do I keep watching something or do I go to bed? The conscious decision you make to not go to bed is the procrastination. That's what we're going to label procrastination. It is the voluntary delay of going to bed. And in particular, the scenario, this decision is conscious. There's some part of you that, that gets cued, and we're going to talk a little bit about cues and, and, and how that influences 
what we do, but there's a cue, which in this case would be the end of the episode, that makes your brain consciously think, I should go to bed, or it thinks about, should I go to bed? It asks this question. So what happens is that in the background, and this is not a calculation you have direct access to, your brain does an ROI calculation about what the potential reward of going to bed is versus the potential reward of staying on the couch. And what we think, you know, our current understanding of the brain and decision making, it's a very complex topic, but what we think happens is that your brain becomes inclined toward the thing that it thinks is going to have the highest payoff. And you might be wondering, wait, obviously going to bed has the highest payoff. Like my entire day tomorrow will be foobarred if I don't go to bed on time. I'm going to feel shitty. I know it's going to interfere with my ability to do the, all this stuff that I want to do versus like, you know, the gratification of sitting on the couch. That that doesn't seem like a, a very intelligent conversation uh, calculation. And in a lot of ways it isn't. <laughs> but one of the things to realize, especially if you have a, an ADHD nervous system, is that the now is o almost always going to be more powerful to your nervous system and your dopamine circuits than the future. So this is why future-oriented goals <laughs> for uh, like, like distant future, because all goals are future-oriented, but goals that are past now, like tomorrow or next week or next year, often are not motivating to to people with ADHD, and they're they're less motivating um, inherently to many of us because um, our brain does this thing called delayed discounting, where if something is farther away, we actually literally value it less. So your brain does this calculation. It's like you know I could do all these things tomorrow, but now, right now. I have this desire to be on this couch and, and watch another episode of Drag Race. Like, man, that is going to be very satisfying right now, and, and that's why you do the thing. It, it's, it's not like you look at all of the stuff that would benefit you from going to bed and just, like, ignore it. It's just that there's something else that has a stronger pull. You're going to hear different people refer to that sort of pull as different things. Um, some people call it desire, some people will call it urge, um, the power of habit, which is a fairly famous um, behavior change kind of book, um, will refer to it as a craving, but it's the desire to do something. And it's because your brain did this calculation that said, you know, this thing is likely to give me the, the best payoff, given my complex, weird calculus. And as a result, I'm going to release dopamine so you can do that thing. Because remember, dopamine is not the pleasure chemical, it's the motivation chemical. So you are motivated to sit on the couch instead of go up and go to bed. Here's how a lot of people, coaches, therapists, anyone, even people self-directing this and coaching themselves, try to, try to intervene with this. And I'm going to tell you why it doesn't work. They'll look at sort of the cue, which in this case is like the end of the previous television episode. That triggers something in your brain. So you have a thought, a conscious thought of like, oh, maybe I should go to bed. That creates the urge, the desire, to pick up your phone and scroll on Instagram, start a new episode, whatever. They would look at that urge and spend time with that. They'd encourage you to like notice the urge, notice it's happening, 
Look at how it shows up in your body, maybe, you know, sit with the discomfort, set a timer, whatever. But but you're you're essentially sitting with the urge but not acting on it. Because um an urge, depending on that ROI calculation, then leads to some sort of action. It could be um, in action, so it could be like not doing a thing. So you might have the urge to say pick up your phone and but you don't do it. That the behavior, the decision is to not do it, but you still have the urge. And that works for a lot of people. Like looking at the urge, sitting with the urge, um, even like incentivizing sitting with the urge. Like there's there's a hack that um, sort of Brooke Castillo, who is um, the person who runs the Life Coach School, who um, they're they're one of my certifications. Um, the the hack is to like when you notice and sit with the urge, you put like a little bead in a jar. Which the idea is that you know that that is motivating to you, so you'd continue to do it. The problem with this is it it requires a couple of things that are very challenging when you have an ADHD strongly dopamine driven nervous system. One, it requires you to notice the urge. And everything starts with awareness. You can't change things that you aren't aware of. So this is, I mean, this is true. Noticing things is incredibly important. You can't, you can't sit with an urge if you don't notice it. But noticing something requires conscious intervention that is using the part of our brains that we label executive function. It is a part of executive function to notice your emotions and do something or don't do something about them. Just noticing is a uh, use of your executive function. The second thing it requires you to do is even if you notice it, it requires you to not take the action your nervous system is wanting to take because your conscious mind is intervening and being like, we're not going to do this. It requires that executive functions, you know, part of your brain to step in and be like, we're, we have this desire to pick up our phone, but we're not going to do it. That is a conscious part of your brain that is requires your prefrontal cortex. Um, whereas some of the other stuff we're discussing uses, you know, different circuits in your brain. So it's, you need to notice and then you need to just experience the urge, both of which are incredibly challenging to anyone who has less skill with inductive function, which if you have ADHD, that is one of like the core criteria, but it's also the case if you are aging, um, our executive function gets worse with age, if you have traumatic brain injury, um, lots of things affect uh, executive function. I'm not going to go into all of them here, but this is why the idea of, you know, being disciplined and, you know, noticing and, you know, experiencing your urges and not doing something about them is incredibly challenging for us. And it's one of the biggest... I don't want to call it myths because it's not a myth. It, this is all still true, but it is one of, I think, the biggest disservice a lot of um, behavior change practitioners have is to not acknowledge this particular challenge because noticing the urge and then, you know, not doing the thing that your urge is telling you to do require conscious intervention. And for some of us, it is just straight up harder. And my theory about why this shows up particularly at bedtime, um, 
and this is backed up by research, so it's not just my theory, but our, our ability to sort of consciously intervene in things tends to decrease throughout the day. Um, you know, there are peaks in valleys throughout the day, depending on sort of your emotional state and how much sleep you got and wh whether or not you eat and all that kind of stuff. But like, generally the slope goes down about how good you are <laughs> at, at executive function stuff, the longer the day has been. So you are probably at one of your lowest points in terms of executive capabilities around bedtime in, in your whole day. So not only are some of us just not as good at this, and it's not because there's something wrong with us, it's just that part of our brain isn't as good as other parts of our brain. So we're just not as good at this. And then you add in the fact that the end of the day is like the worst time for any human. And you create this, this behavior pattern where even though part of us wants to go to bed, the, the you know, smart, forward-thinking part of our brain, and I'm using budding quotes that you can't see, but because um, I don't think this part of our brain is actually smarter, but the part of us that is thinking about the future, like tomorrow, knows that we'll be, it's going to be great for us to go to bed at a time that allows us to get enough sleep. That part of our brain isn't as strong at, at bedtime as, as the part of our brain that is a little more primal, you know, I want satisfaction now. The desire, there are literally two different dopamine pathways. Um, one is associated with this, the, the prefrontal cortex, and one is associated with some of the more, you know, old school parts of our brain. And they are competing desire circuits. <laughs> I'm not going to go into detail about those. But um, so realize that, that even though part of you does genuinely want to go to bed, there is also part of you that doesn't acknowledge that. And that part of you isn't less intelligent. It isn't, you know, worse or something to be ashamed of. That part of you has intelligence and wisdom because it's wanting to do something else. And that desire is genuine. It's just as genuine as your desire to go to bed. I want to address a sort of meta pattern I see around this behavior, which is which is a pattern across all sorts of behavior change I see with, with people is that you'll start out for like a couple weeks, maybe even a few days of going really strong. Like even when you experience that urge at night, um, you're like, you know what, I can do this. I can put down my phone and go to bed. But then after say a couple of weeks, <laughs> you, um, you stop doing it. It's because that of that executive function, uh, piece that I was alluding to, namely that we're relying on willpower because willpower is is part of the executive function. Willpower is like the desire going against some of your inherent desires. Willpower is like not, not following an impulse. Um, that's what willpower is. So core executive functioning. So what happens is that in the beginning, because there's novelty and boy, do our brains love novelty, we're able to to use willpower to get through it. But what inevitably happens, because we don't always have willpower around to spare, um, either because we had a bad day or, you know, we had a fight with our partner, at some point the willpower is not going to be there 
And then that thing that you were relying on, that willpower and that novelty has diminished. So you're not going to be able to continue. And that's why the, the, the habit starts to drop off before it's really cemented in your neural pathways. Because that's what we ideally want to do. We want to get behaviors that, that we want to have to be so automatic that we don't have to think about them. Because as you can see, if we have to think about them, our brain is often going to go in a direction we don't want it to. So that gets us to the final thing, which is what can you actually do about it given some of the traditional behavior change techniques, approaches, tools, whatever you want to call them, are less effective. It's not that they don't work. They work, but they have limited efficacy under certain conditions and circumstances for those of us who have nervous systems who work differently. So you're in the scenario where the episode ends and you experience this urge to stay up rather than go to bed. Rather than trying to sort of grin and bear it through this urge, using that executive function and willpower, I want you to ask the following question. What is the unmet need underneath my desire to not go to bed? I'm going to repeat this because this is very... This is like the crux of what this work is. What is the unmet need underneath my desire to not go to bed? Because that's the real reason you're staying up. There is some part of you that is desiring something that you're getting out of staying up later that is stronger than your desire to go to bed. And until you meet that need, you aren't going to actually want to go to bed because Wanting to go to bed is what we want here, but you have a stronger desire than your desire to go to bed. That is where the wisdom is. And I can't give you a universal answer to that question because that's going to be very individual depending on your circumstances. So um, I can give you some common examples of what I've seen, but your answer to that question is going to be very different. And you want to listen to what what your brain offers you in response. Like sit with that question and listen because that's going to be the desire you need to fulfill so that you will want to go to bed because this desire you have to stay up will be already met. So you won't need to stay up because you'll have already met that particular need. So here are some things to play with that I've seen in other people that may resonate for you. But um, once again, this is a time to trust Trust your own brain, but I'll give you some ideas to, to seed it. So one thing that I, that is one of my main causes for bedtime procrastination is if I haven't been giving myself enough completely unstructured, do whatever the fuck I want, open time by myself. So I, I have really structured my life in such a way that I can do whatever I want pretty much all the time. It's, it's, I mean, I literally have built a business out of teaching other people how to do this. But um, there are times when, especially I live with my best friend, where, you know, we'll have be watching like a series that we're super into. And I will not get a lot of time sort of by myself to just put around and do whatever I want. Um, it's not because I'm not having fun with with her. But like, I also need to fulfill the part of my brain that wants to like putter around and I don't know, listen to random podcasts and uh, revisit boy band nostalgia or I don't know what else, uh, play play stupid games on my iPad, like things like that, that I just like, 
So, so one of the things that I, I have to proactively include in my days is some time where I just go up to my like bedroom area and, you know, do whatever I want, but it has to be by myself and it has to be open-ended and I have to have no plan. But if I don't do that, my desire to have like very much alone puttering around time will instead happen you know, when she goes to bed at night. This is a very common pattern I've seen is particularly people who like live with, with other humans. Um, it's like, you know, after they go to bed is my one time to do what I want to do without anyone looking at me, without anyone seeing me do things. So that's, that is a strong desire for a lot of us, especially those of us who have very introverted um, tendencies, though I think this is something that, that even extroverts need. Another thing I've seen is that like at night when things are quiet, it's the one time like without the kids and the pets that that you have to just turn off your brain and veg. Like especially some of you are insanely busy and every moment of your day is packed. So like once everyone is in bed or once things are have quieted down, that's the, you're like one opportunity out of time for yourself. So like that might be a reason that you are procrastinating on going to bed because like that is your one sacred time for yourself. Another thing I've seen actually is the exact opposite, namely that like at night sitting down on the couch with a partner or loved ones, it's like the one time to connect. So if you're going to bed, it's saying something about, you know, I don't want to spend time with you or like, or the desire is to actually have more time to connect with your partner or your kids or your pets. And like that, that is what is keeping you up because if you don't do that, you know, at night when you otherwise would be going in bed, you're not going to get that connection. So that's another one to look for is like, am I using it to connect with someone else? So those are just a few examples of what I've seen. There are definitely more. Your reasons, your desires are likely to be a little different um, or, or not. But the thing to really look at is like, why am I staying up? And not shaming it because those desires, the ones, especially the ones I just outlined, like those are very real things that that matter to you and that that you want to to have fulfilled. You want connection. You want time to be alone and follow your curiosity and your desire. So giving validation and recognition to those needs is so crucial if you have a brain that is a little weaker in executive functioning land. But this is applicable to everyone. Like this is a alternate way of looking at why you do the things you do. So if you found this episode really helpful, one of the things I'm going to very strongly encourage you to do is join my behavior change bootcamp, which is starting the week of March 14th, 2023. It's six weeks of going deep on why we do the things to, we do and how to change them, but specifically for dopamine-driven brains. I'm doing this because um, after having worked with um, primarily neurodivergent humans for a few years now, a lot I've really seen how a lot of the coaching and and counseling and stuff is not targeted and adapted specifically when you have this kind of neurodivergent nervous system. And and I am in particular talking about a particular flavor of a neurodivergent nervous system, but obviously 
the wide range of neurodiversity that exists in the world should be something that we're thinking about and incorporating when we're talking about, you know, habits and procrastination and behavior change and motivation and all of these things that, you know, you see people talking about all the time, but they don't include this lens where there are very real, very practical differences between how, you know, our nervous systems function and how the general advice applies. So this course is is the culmination of me being like, ah, I, I, people need to know how to how to work with these kind of nervous systems um, because things don't quite work exactly the same. And people feel really shitty about themselves when they try all this stuff that's supposed to, quote, work. And then they're like, I, it works for a little bit, but then it stopped working. So this is my passion, gift, whatever, is to teach a six weeks course about how to change behavior and habits when you have a strongly dopamine-driven interest-based nervous system. So ADHD folks, this is 100% for you, but anyone who identifies as being strongly interest-driven should take this course. And in particular, I think this is going to benefit um, other change practitioners, so other coaches, other wellness professionals, like even if you don't serve ADHD people specifically, even if you don't serve neurodivergent people specifically, this is a way for you to be an ally, is to take this course and learn how you might need to modify some of your tools, some of your techniques um, to work with a wide variety of nervous systems. And in particular, this is going to give you a bunch of practical tools, but we're also gonna go into the science of why all these things are happening and like why certain things work versus not. So it's six weeks. Um, we'll have sort of six live um, sort of interactive classes with Q&A, and then there are going to be three sessions where you actually can go and get help applying this work. So either on your own own behaviors or clients or something, you can bring that and actually I will be helping everyone who shows up to those sessions, um, you know, get through the tools that I'm going to be teaching. Um, and it's only $179, which um, is actually significant. That is a low price point for me, um, relatively speaking. And it's not because it's not going to be valuable. It's going to be, honestly, one of the best things I've ever done. I'm so fucking excited. But because I want this to be accessible to a lot of different humans. And if you're really excited by this and that $179 is still inaccessible to you, please reach out to me. I do want this to be available to as many people as possible. So... Um, to sign up for this, um, we start the week of March 14th. You go to megankirstead.com slash bootcamp. Um, if you um, follow me on social media, I also will be posting about it there. I'm talking about it in my newsletter. But uh, links will also be in the show notes. So um, I'm going to keep talking about this course because honestly, truly, I think this is something absolutely everyone who gives a shit about human behavior and and changing habits and procrastinating less and all this kind of stuff should take because you're going to learn exactly why it happens from a cognitive science, neuroscience, psychology level. And then we're going to also take those and use very, very practical tools. And so at the end of the six weeks, you're going to be so much better at working with 
a bunch of different types of nervous systems and in particular dopamine driven nervous systems. So sign up, tell all your friends to sign up because it's going to be awesome. We're going to have a lot of fun. I already have, I, <laughs> there are already people signed up and they're all amazing humans. So, um, oh, there also will be a community. So there's a community component in well. So you'll also get to be doing this work with other like black sheep brains. Everything is going to be recorded, transcribed, uh, captioned. You'll get slides. We're supporting all sorts of learning styles here. So obviously reach out if you have any questions, but definitely sign up. Um, and I'm so excited to do this because the world needs it. Anyway, have a lovely week and I hope you get to bed a little bit earlier tonight. So if you're loving the podcast, please leave me a review. I'd be thrilled. I'd look at them all. And it's one of the best ways to make sure that other black sheep feel seen, feel heard, feel validated. So leave me a review. Thanks so much. Thank you.